exciting facts, candid conversations, and some levity to lighten your day. This is The Kale Clark Show on Relevant Radio. Welcome to the show on this Monday, and it really is a magnificent Monday here on Relevant Radio. It's June the 26th, 2023, and I'm so happy that you're talking to me, and you can call this number to do exactly that, 888-914-9149. Once again, toll-free to talk to me, 888-914-9149. Of course, you can always email the program. The address is kale, C-A-L-E, at Relevant Radio. Dot com And you can follow me on Twitter at Kale Clark, C-A-L-E, Clark with an E. And it's a special day around here, too, at least in our household, because it's also the feast day of St. Jose Maria Escriva, the founder of Opus Dei. And I, I would be seriously remiss if I didn't thank God for the life of this great saint and for all that he's done for me personally. I, I have to share some things with you because some of you guys might not know these things about me, but... Um, A lot of you, of course, know that Father Rocky Hoffman, the CEO of Relevant Radio, is a priest of Opus Dei. Now, he didn't join Opus Dei to be a priest, and you can ask me about that. It might be better to call into the family rosary and ask him (laughs) about that uh, later tonight. But, of course, he he may not have time to to fill you in on that. But I'll, I'll, I'll talk to you a little bit, if you want, about the fact that nobody joins Opus Dei to be a priest of Opus Dei. We can talk about that a little bit later, but um, it might be pretty obvious to you, but I am a member of Opus Dei as well. Um, I joined Opus Dei uh, back in 2009, and it was really interesting because I, I had no interest whatsoever in it at the time uh, when I started finding out about it, but I can't deny the incredible impact that St. Jose Maria had on my life. First of all, I'll tell you this, the year that I came back into the Catholic Church, a lot of incredible things happened to me that year, not the least of which was beating my wife, Trish. And all of this happened, actually, on this day, on the feast day of St. Jose Maria. And I had, uh, I'll just tell you the quick story about, about how I met my wife, in case I haven't shared this with you. Uh, back in 2004, when I was still in Protestant ministry, I was heavily looking into the Catholic Church, because of a series of events that happened to me very providentially, and I started investigating Catholicism, and uh, I'm a revert to the faith. Growing up, I'd been a pretty nominal Catholic, wasn't that well catechized, didn't know the reasons for my faith, and I became an agnostic uh, during my high school and university years. And by the way, if you caught today's episode of The Faith Explained, and if you didn't, you can catch the podcast I explained in that episode, uh, well, I, I didn't really explain. I'm, I'm really showing how Blaise Pascal explained that agnosticism, saying, well, I just don't know. <laughs> That's not a tenable option. It's a very fashionable and trendy option, but you can't go with that. Ultimately, it doesn't work. You can't use that as a third option to try to evade the question of belief or non-belief in God. Uh, a lot of people want to <laughs> look at agnosticism as kind of a halfway house. I'll just sort of sit on this, I'll wait on it, I'll think about it, gather more evidence, that can go on interminably, but at the end of the day, um, it doesn't work. So check out today's episode of The Faith Explained on the Relevant Radio app, wherever you get your podcast. In case you missed that, uh, hopefully that might help with that question. But uh, one thing led to another, I became a Protestant minister, and I was really enjoying it, I was really loving it, but at the same time, something happened that caused me to look into Catholicism, and... One of the things that I used to do was I I had a friend that lived next to 
well, pretty much around the corner from a Catholic parish that had perpetual adoration, perpetual adoration chapel. And, and I used to go there to pray and to think. And I, I, I didn't know if I believed in the Eucharist or not. I was certainly thinking about it, looking at the evidence for it. But I used to go there to pray and think. And I'm sure you're aware that in a lot of parishes, the parish bulletin will have on the back a whole bunch of ads. It's very common, right? <laughs> Uh, insurance agents, uh, car dealerships, whatever the case may be, lawyers, uh, you name it. And uh, they had some sort of a stack of parish bulletins in the Adoration Chapel, and I was just kind of looking at it. And I saw that there was an ad for a Catholic bookstore. And I said, you know, I should probably go there. I should probably go there because I need to learn more about the Catholic faith. I need to read more about it, get some good books. And it wasn't too far from this church. So I said, I'll check it out. And I went there, and the lady who owned the bookstore um, she didn't really recognize me. She, she knew her clientele pretty well, and I was just trying to be incognito. I was trying to just, you know, sit there and uh, look for some books and browse, if you will. But she kept coming up to me and asking me questions, saying, oh, what's your name? You know, you know what's, what's your story? What's, what, what brings you here? And I was, I was kind of thinking, just leave me alone. <laughs> I just want, just want to look for books. And I started to explain to her a little bit about uh, my background and I had grown up Catholic, but now I was a Protestant minister, but I was investigating the Catholic Church again. And she said, well, you, you really have to talk to my friend, Father Charles. He really helped me through a, you know, a tough spiritual time and blah, 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 blah. And I was like, eh, no, I'm not really interested. You know, thanks, but no thanks. I couldn't even get the words out of my mouth. She had already speed dialed him on her cell phone, stuck into my ear and said, here he is. He, and so I found myself talking to this guy, Father Charles, and I had no idea who this guy was. But he invited me uh, to come and meet with him, and he was living very close to the university downtown and was working with students, and he said, why don't you come check it out, and we'll, we'll just kind of have a chat. You can tell me a little bit more about yourself. So I did that and uh, had a nice meeting with him. Now, sort of around this time, around this time, meanwhile, in, 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 in the meanwhile, uh, something had happened um, that was very life-changing for me. There was a guy in my Protestant congregation who was a teacher, and he would every year, just like there's a National March for Life in Washington, D.C., there's a National March for Life in Canada as well, in the capital city of Canada, Ottawa, Ontario, which is about a five-hour drive from you know, where I live in Toronto. And I was really impressed because during my, my years in this particular congregation where I was an assistant uh, pastor, uh, there was this guy named Ray who every year he would quote-unquote, call in sick from his teaching job, and he would drive by himself to the March for Life, five hours each way, so it's a 10-hour day just driving. He'd, then he'd go to the march, which took, you know, takes about two or three hours or whatever, and then he'd come back all on the same day, and then he'd go to work the next day. And that really inspired me. I was like, man, because I, I had been pro-life, but I hadn't really done anything about it. And I said to him, hey, Ray, this year, I'm going with you, man. We're going we're gonna to make a road trip out of it. We're going to do it together. And he's like, fantastic. That's great. We can switch the driving and keep each other awake and stop at Tim Hortons and get some coffee. Fantastic. Sounds like a deal. So that's what we did. And while I was on the March for Life with this guy named Ray, my friend Ray, that's when I first saw my wife, Trish. And she was teaching and, and she was uh, with her students uh, at the time. She'd taken a bunch of her students to the March for Life. and And I saw this woman and pretty much immediately fell in love with her. <laughs> and it was love at first sight. And that's a very strange thing for me, as anybody who knows me uh, can attest. And 
I saw this woman. I wanted to talk to her, but I totally chickened out. I completely just dropped the ball. And I had a perfect opportunity as well because kind of at the end of the march, you walk up to Parliament Hill. It's kind of like walking up to the White House. And I was walking up the hill. We'd, we both kind of got separated from our friends. And it was just me and her walking up the hill together. And I had the perfect opportunity to talk to her. And I just blew it. I just absolutely blew it. I, I, I And I chickened out, didn't talk to her. I figured, oh, she probably lives in Ottawa. I mean, it doesn't make any sense. Why, why even bother? And she kind of disappeared into the crowd. And I thought I'd never see her again. And so I went back home. And in the meantime, I'm meeting with this guy, Father Charles. And he says, well, look, there's a, um, he turned out to be a priest of Opus Dei as well, kind of like Father Rocky. And he said, hey, look, there's a, we're having a special mass for the feast day of St. Jose Maria on June the 26th. That's his feast day. Why don't you come to this mass, check it out. And maybe afterwards you and I can grab lunch together and, and talk some more about your spiritual journey. I said, yeah, sure, that, sound, that sounds fine. So I did that the day of the mass came and I went to this church where it was being held, this parish. And I walk in there, and I saw her again. I saw my, my future wife again. I said, that's the girl from the March for Life. <laughs> and uh, I said, I, I, this is a second opportunity. You know, God is the God of second chances, right? So I, I can't mess this up again. So I said, I've got to talk to her. Absolutely got to talk to her. So I tried to do that. I, I said, hey, were you, were you on the March for Life? And she's like, you know, who is this guy? Like, what, is he a stalker or something? What's going on? And she's like, yeah, yeah. I was like, I saw you on the March for Life. And she's like, okay, okay. Well, we chatted for a minute. And then she said, well, I'll catch you after the Mass. I got to go, you know, find my seat and everything. And I thought, oh, okay, she's giving me the brush off. That, that's it. But I'm going to call you on this. You said you'll talk to me after Mass. All right, I'm going to find you after Mass and talk to you. <laughs> so anyway, so I, I thought she was kind of trying to, trying to get rid of me. And, and I, I was trying to find her in the crowd and sure enough, I did spot her on the other side of the church, but she was sitting next to this guy. And I thought, oh, well, that's why she gave me the brush off. She's already married or she's got a boyfriend or whatever. So I had to do all this reconnaissance work. I had to do detective work. I had to ask people. So I figured out that that was actually her brother. So I was like, okay, all right. She was actually, long story short, she was actually sitting next to two of her brothers, but another story. And I had to fight her brother to get on a date with her. No, I'm only kidding. But... Um, I figured out that that was her brother, not her husband. So I felt like it was okay to try to talk to her again after mass. So I did. And uh, I asked her for her number and, and she actually gave it to me, which is kind of, you know, probably not, not something she would normally do. But there's something about me, I guess, that she said, I think I can trust this guy. So she gives me her number and, uh, and that's kind of what started it. And then as they were all leaving the church, her parents were there as well. And her, her, her mother kind of, not knowing who I was, kind of smiled at me on the way out of the church. I thought, well, that turned out to be a good old man. You know, my future mother-in-law smiled at me. So that's good. And uh, it was all because Father Charles uh, I had invited me to go to the Mass for St. Josemaria. And that's where I saw my wife for the first time. I want to fast forward a little bit here. You're listening to the K.O. Clark Show on Relevant Radio, 888 nine one four nine and maybe if 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 you're associated with maybe you you are somebody who has learned about saint jose maria maybe you've gone to one of these masses for the feast day of saint jose maria love to hear about it triple eight nine one four nine one four nine i'll tell you one thing that i that i saw too this is something that was kind of palpably noticeable to me palpably noticeable to me when i when i walked into that church that being being a Protestant minister, and I was I was an evangelical. I was the, in the evangelical world. It was really interesting to me 
when I when I walked into this church because there were all kinds of people who were members of Opus Dei, plus their friends, plus uh, people who are called cooperators of Opus Dei. Who they're not members of Opus Dei, but they they help out with things and they they sometimes go for spiritual direction with a priest of Opus Dei and and participate in faith formation activities. And anyway, so there are all these members of Opus Dei, their families and friends that were there. And I could, I could sort of tell, I had this spidey sense, if you will. I could tell that it just reminded me a lot of what I had seen in the evangelical world. These are people, you could just tell that these were people who were taking their faith seriously as lay people. And in, in the evangelical world, there's sort of this sense that every member is a minister, you know, that, that there is no second class Christianity, you know, it would, you know, it's sort of the best of evangelicalism is that everybody is called to holiness. Everybody's called to, to spread the faith, share the gospel, whatever your job might be, whatever you're doing. And I could kind of see that or sense that when I saw these people, I said, there's something going on here. This is not the typical thing that I was used to growing up in a parish. I could say, you know, I'm not saying, and this is a broad generalization, of course, but it just seemed like these people are pretty serious about their faith. And it, and it just struck me. It's kind of a sidebar there, but um, yeah. So that that's that's Saint <laughs> Jose Maria was directly responsible, uh, I think, through his intercession for me meeting wife and what I my wife and what I found out later through Trish was that she had been praying a novena to Saint Jose Maria, this nine day prayer, to meet a husband because you know that time of life she was you know wanting to get married. It's tough sometimes, and, and you know this, if you're a Catholic single person, it's really tough sometimes to find somebody who shares your faith, and it's like finding a needle in a haystack at times. So she was praying, she was asking St. Jose Maria for, for, uh, for uh, his intercession in this, a nine-day prayer, and the last day of the novena was, of course, the feast day of St. Jose Maria, and that is the day that we met, so... I thank St. Jose Maria for that one, uh, for his intercession. But that's not all. He, he, he did a couple of other cool things for me as well. And, and trust me, he will do some amazing things uh, through his intercession for you as well. I'm convinced of it. I'm absolutely convinced of it. And not, he's, he's, I think his notoriety, if you will, in the church is becoming more and more uh, prevalent. What a great saint he is. I think he's one of the greatest saints of all time. But it's not uncommon if you went to, say, your daily mass day at your local parish, that they probably didn't do uh, a mass for his feast day. It was probably just the readings for ordinary time. And that's that's fine. But I think in time, he'll that, 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 that feast will be celebrated on the regular in parishes all across the United States and all across the world. we got to take a quick break right now on the Kale Clark Show. But I'll tell you more about how St. Jose Maria hit on something that is true for all of us as Catholics. No matter if you're involved with, with Opus Dei or not, it doesn't matter. He really rediscovered the essence of classic Christianity, and we'll talk about that after the break. 888-914-9149. Be right back. Gail Clark Show on Relevant Radio. Our sponsor, Charity Mobile, where 5% of your monthly plan price goes to Relevant Radio or another pro-life charity of your choice. New customers can mention Relevant Radio to receive a free phone. More information at CharityMobile.com. 
To the Kale Clark Show on Relevant Radio, 888-914-9149 is the number to call, 888-914-9149. And that song you're listening to is called La Morinita, which means the brunette. It's interesting because it's a song, really, that's sung to Our Lady, uh, uh, to Mary. JP2 used to sing it, St. Jose Maria used to sing it. It's the feast day of St. Jose Maria Escriba, the founder of Opus Dei. And I don't know if that means that Mary was a brunette, but hey, there you go. That's what it means, La Morenita. <laughs> and my Spanish is terrible, but uh, I was informed that uh, by our crack Spanish scholar, Patrick Alog, uh, who's producing the program today. And yeah, so uh, again, it would be a serious injustice of me not to share uh, the great things uh, through his intercession that St. Jose Maria has done for me. He's really a saint of miracles. There's so many miracles associated with this guy. I highly recommend that you check out the prayer card for St. Jose Maria. You can go to uh, the Opus Dei website. You can go to the St. Jose Maria Institute website. Uh, they've got some great resources there, some great podcasts you can listen to about him. And so I, I talked before the break about how he played a, a great role in me meeting my wife, Trish. And just dur- actually during the break, uh, Michaela was texting me. Well, she wasn't texting me. She was doing it through her mom saying, hey, Dad, are you going to tell the story about me? Well, yeah, I will. I'll tell that story really quick. That uh, for the first 10 years of our marriage, you know, Patricia and I, we really struggled with infertility. And we, you know, we wanted to have a big family. We, however many children God would want to give us. And so it was a, a cross to bear that we, we weren't able to do that for a long, long time. And we didn't think we were going to ever be able to have children. And so we were pretty shocked uh, back in 2015 when we found out that we were going to have Michaela. And that actually also happened. We found out that we were pregnant on the feast day of St. Jose Maria. Once again, this is back in 2015. And essentially what, how it all came about was that Patricia had this sort of, I don't know, it was like a lump the size of a baseball uh, in her abdomen. I actually thought maybe this is cancer. I was starting to get really worried. It was, it was a solid mass. I didn't know what this thing was. And I was super concerned about it. So we went to the doctor to get it checked out. They're going to do a you know, biopsy or something like that. And uh, they wanted to run some tests on her. But the doctor said, it just, just out of curiosity, do you think you could be pregnant? And she was like, I highly doubt it. <laughs> but, you know, I've been trying for 10 years and nothing has happened. But, um, but just for fun, let's do a pregnancy test. Well, sure enough, it came back positive. And she found out on the feast day of St. Jose Maria. And... Uh, it was a pretty wild story how that all came about. So this, what, what that baseball-sized lump was actually was a cyst that was basically kind of associated with, with, with the pregnancy, kind of not. But um, she had had this thing for a while, and it was a uterine cyst that just kept getting bigger, and, and it was becoming a problem. And, and after Michaela was born, actually, our doctor um, uh, said to us, hey, I didn't want to tell you this before you got pregnant, but... When I saw Patricia's scans and I saw that cyst, I I said, man, these people are never getting pregnant. So I I also attribute that to the intercession of St. Jose Maria. And we had prayed a lot to him over that 10-year period, uh, if it be God's will, uh, asking for a child. And so we're very, very grateful uh, that he gave us Michaela. And we're trying to be good stewards of that that task. And and then just one more quick story, and then we'll turn it over to you guys, 888-914-9149. You can call in if you've received a special favor 
from St. Jose Maria. I would love to hear about it. 888-914-9149. If he's affected your life in some way, uh, tell me about it. 888-914-9149. One last thing. I think also St. Jose Maria had a huge hand in me being here at Relevant Radio. Uh, Before I uh, signed up with Relevant Radio, I'd actually been kind of praying really hard for the right kind of position for me that I could, you know, serve God better and uh, with the gifts that he's given me. And, and I prayed one of the things that you can find on, on the, uh, the Opus Dei website is there are these novenas, these nine day prayers. Um, you can ask for St. Jose Maria's intercession and there's one for families. Uh, there's a novena for the sick. And he, he really started off his career in Madrid. Um, he, he served a lot, the, the poor and the sick, uh, in Madrid, um, the Spanish Civil War was just a terrible time. But uh, anyways, there's a great novena for the sick, and there's also a novena for work, and that's what Opus Dei means. It means the work of God, and a lot of it has to do with sanctifying our, our everyday work and offering it up to God, no matter what our job might be. doesn't matter. Uh, the most holy job is the one that's done with the greatest love of God. So how about that? And so there's a novena for work, and so I, it, it's great for people seeking work. Um, it's great for people who want to, uh, sanctify their work better and sanctify themselves and other people through their work. And uh, St. Jose Maria used to talk about that, that work is kind of the hinge of our sanctification, if you will. We spend a lot of time working. And God, of course, is always working. And, and Jesus talked about that in the gospel. So we have to help him uh, in his work. At, at any rate, I, I prayed this novena for a year straight. I'm not kidding. And I got the idea from a friend of mine um, Who's, who's not a, a member of Opus Dei, but he's a, he's a friend of, of Opus Dei. He's actually what's called a cooperator of Opus Dei. Uh, he was coming for formational activities, and he was seeing a, a priest for spiritual direction. And he didn't even tell me he was doing this. He was a pretty good friend of mine, but he was kind of in the, in the technology field. Uh, he worked for a company that makes computer chips, and he was kind of in a tough spot work-wise. And he started praying the Novena for St. Jose Maria, and he got his dream job. And he told me later, after he got the job, I was like, congratulations. He said, you know what, Kale? I prayed this novena for work for a year straight. I said, wow, I was flabbergasted. So after the nine days were over, he'd just start again. And he did this for a year. And then at the end of this year, he got his dream job. And he's so happy. He's so happy. So I said, man, that's a really good idea. (laughs) So I started doing the same thing. And sure enough, uh, it worked for me too. And in fact... The day that I, and this wasn't prearranged, I mean, this wasn't consciously arranged by me or anything like that. Just, the day that I signed my, my first contract with Relevant Radio in 2020 was on the feast day of St. Jose Maria. How about that? So I am 100% sure he had a lot to do with me uh, being here right now talking to you. So I'm very, very grateful. And uh, maybe you guys have a story to share as well. 888 Nine one four nine. Let's go to Paul in Youngstown, Ohio. Hi, Paul. Hi, Kale. Uh, I just wondered what uh, being a member of Opus Day meant and how it differs from just being a regular Catholic. And I thought Opus Day people were single people that lived in Opus Day houses and went out into the world. And maybe I misunderstood it. Yeah, that, that's that's a that's a really good uh, good question to ask, Paul. And a lot of you guys might remember. Of course, you do remember when the Da Vinci Code came out, right? Uh, the book by Dan Brown, the movie starring Tom Hanks. And what's, I mean, the Da Vinci Code was terrible for a lot of reasons, but 
Um, it was also a great chance to make lemonade out of lemons because uh, the, actually the first page of the Da Vinci Code book, uh, Dan Brown has this facts page. It's this page just says facts at the top and he lists a whole bunch of stuff. None of those things are true. <laughs> None of those things are actually facts. They're all false. But people believe it. People believe it. And maybe they believe what they want to believe. But, <coughs> excuse me. Um, in the book, of course, one of the characters is this killer albino opus day monk named Silas. Um, and I, I joke about Silas with my friends. Is you know, I'm going to uh, an opus day event. I'm like, yeah, I'm going to see Silas. Ah, they, you know, I, I make light of it because if anybody knows anything about opus day, that that's the furthest thing you could possibly, there are no monks in Opus Day. It's not, it's not a vocation to the religious life. It's about uh, living for God in the middle of the world. Now, just to answer your first question, Paul, how, how, what's, what's the difference in terms of, of Opus Day and, and being a quote unquote normal Catholic? Well, Opus Day members are normal Catholics. They are normal Catholics. Um, Here's the deal, and this is part of what, what St. Jose Maria discovered and part of what he's trying to teach everybody, whether you're involved with Ovis Day or not, is that every single person is called to two things. Holiness, that's becoming a saint. By virtue of our baptism, we're called to two things. Holiness and what's called apostolate, which is sharing your faith or evangelism, you could call it. In other words, becoming a saint and helping other people to become saints. That's Christianity in a nutshell. That's 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 it. That's it. I mean, that's a very, very simplified... Now, there's a lot that goes into that, of course, but we're called to become saints, and, you know, it talks about that in the New Testament. St. Paul writes to the Romans, for those in Rome, called to be saints, to the Corinthians, those in Corinth, called to be saints. We're called to be canonizable saints, and if we're not canonizable saints, then we've failed, because we've got to get to heaven. Anybody in heaven is a saint. Now, we don't know who all the saints are. That's why we have All Saints Day. It's kind of the, the unknown soldiers of the church, if you will. Everybody in heaven who's a saint that we doesn't have their own feast day. And there's plenty of them, no doubt. And we've got to be among their ranks. And, hey, maybe you'll get your own feast day. Well, you should aim for that. Aim for the heights of holiness. Because if your aim is just to get into heaven by the skin of your teeth, by this, you know, the hairs of your chinny-chin-chin, chin, what happens if you miss, right? That's a pretty low bar, right? So aim for great sanctity. That's what all the saints have taught. Um, it's not just St. Jose Maria. I mean, St. Francis de Sales, his introduction to the devout life. And this Father Charles guy that I told you about before, that's that's what the first thing he told me to do. He said, go read this book by St. Francis de Sales called The Introduction to the Devout Life. And he wrote this book, St. Francis de Sales. It's, it wasn't a book at the time. It's a collection of letters that he wrote in spiritual direction to a housewife. Uh, a wife and a mother, and he expected her to become a canonized saint. And he was like, "Look, I'm setting the bar high. This is what this is your calling. There, there is no tier two Christianity. There is no tier two Catholicism here. And there was this great, um, you know, sense in the church. Let's face it, because of clericalism that was rampant in the church for centuries and centuries and centuries, and it's still there. It's hard to stamp out." There was this sort of thought, and maybe you heard about this growing up, or your parents heard about it, or your grandparents, that as lay people, what we were supposed to do was three things. Pray, pay, and obey, right? Your job is to pray. Your job is to pay your tithe, your offerings, okay? 
pray, pay, and obey. Obey the obey the, the hierarchy, obey the leadership, the Pope, the bishops, the magisterium, your local parish priest. But they're the guys on stage, as it were. They're running the show. We are just there uh, to support them, but they're the church. No, we're all the church, okay? And, and really, the, the job of the clergy, as, as I see it, is to help to sanctify the laity so the laity can then go out and sanctify the world. Because the, the world is our domain as lay people. It's not Father's domain. It's, it's our domain. You can't bring your parish priest to work with you, you know, and set him down next to you in the cubicle. And, hey, if you have any questions about Catholicism, Father Jim is here. You know, he's sitting right next to me. He's got his own office chair here. And you can just kind of roll up and ask him at the water cooler. If you, but anyways, I'll just be here doing my thing. No, you are, you're, you are the, the representative of Christ in that cubicle, in that office space, wherever it might be. Or wherever you are, in your school, in your neighborhood, on your sports teams, um, local slow-pitch softball league, I don't know. You you are the representative of Christ. You, you're, you might be the only Jesus that they ever see. That's a pretty big responsibility. But we need to take it seriously. And so I know this is kind of a long answer to your question, Paul, but so that's really what all of us are called to do, to, to holiness and apostles. So here, but here's the thing. Here's the thing. That's sort of the general baptismal call for every person, right? That's our baptismal vocation. But within our baptismal vocation, sometimes there's another call. And this happens to people in the religious life. It happens to, to, to lay people as well. Remember Mother Teresa had this, you probably all know the story. She had the famous call within a call, right? She was already a nun, she, and she was on this train, and she got this call from Jesus Christ. She had this mystical spiritual experience. She wrote a lot about it, where Jesus called her, I want you to do this. I want you to start the Sisters of Charity. I want you to work among the poorest of the poor. Give them hope. Give them my light. All that stuff. And she always said, this is a call within a call. Right? I had to take the first step before the next thing became clear. And so... Some of you are called to another vocation after your baptism. You're called to the vocation of marriage. The majority of Catholics are. That is a vocation. The vocation really answers the question of how. All right, so you're called to be a saint. How exactly are you going to do that? How exactly are you going to do it? What's your game plan? So if you're called to the religious life, like Mother Teresa was, that's how you're going to do it. You're going to do it by being a good religious sister or being a faithful religious brother. Or if you're uh, a baptized Catholic male, you're called to the priesthood. That's how you're going to do it. That's your vocation to be, to be a faithful and holy priest. But some people are called to another vocation. And there are many vocations in the church, many vocations. And uh, maybe I'll, I'll use the, the analogy that, that Scott Hahn used. And a lot of you guys know that uh, Dr. Scott Hahn is a member of Opus Dei as well. And he has a, an interesting book about it. You should check it out. It's published by, um, Double Day, and it's called Ordinary Work, Extraordinary Grace, My Spiritual Journey in Opus Day. And Scott Hahn talked about how he found Opus Day and kind of what he thought it was all about. That when he was a Protestant minister, he and he was coming into the Catholic Church at the time he was at Marquette University, that's where he did his PhD. He was kind of hanging around there. And he just so happened to fall in with this group of guys who were members of Opus Day. Now and he, and he kind of, it just kind of resonated with him because these were guys that, you know, they had various professions. Some of them were business people. Some of them were maybe teachers. Some of them were this, some of them were that. But they all took their faith really seriously. 
and they, they knew the Bible. And as a somebody who was coming from a, a Protestant background that was hyper-focused on the, on the scriptures, he, he found that really impressive that they, they really were into the scriptures and they just seemed to live this, their faith in a, in a living way. And it really kind of, kind of resonated with him. And he, and he sort of said that, and I like this analogy that Scott Hahn uses. It's a little bit like ancient Israel and that in ancient Israel, there are these tribes, right? And they're all Israelites, but there is, you know, the tribe of, of uh, the Levites. They were the priests. There's the tribe of Dan. There is a tribe of Asher, right? And every tribe kind of has their own distinctiveness, right? There's a tribe of Judah. And the way that the tribe of Dan, I guess you could say, lived their, their Israelite faith was maybe a little bit different from the tribe of Asher, but, but they were still Israelites. They had their own distinctives. And he said, it's kind of like that in the Catholic Church. There are different tribes, if you will, in the Catholic Church. There's different spiritualities. There's Franciscan spirituality. There's Carmelite spirituality. Uh, there's this, there's that. And there's also this thing called Opus Dei which is pretty new in a certain sense, but it's also pretty old. In fact, it goes back to the very beginning of the faith. And that's why, and he uses this phrase in his book too, classic Christianity. He says classic Christianity. <laughs> Remember they brought back Coca-Cola classic because New Coke bombed, right? <laughs> you know, people didn't, they, they weren't buying it. You know, actually, I thought, thought it actually tasted pretty good, but, but People kind of rebelled. They wanted the classic, so they had to bring it back. And for a while, they, they had two. They had New Coke, and then they had Coca-Cola Classic. But in the end, they just ditched the New Coke, and the old Coke became the new New Coke, I guess you could say. But nonetheless, it's, it's a little bit like that. Because St. Maria said, look, I didn't, all, all this it really is is what I'm teaching is as old as the gospel, and it's also as new as the gospel, because we always have to, in every generation, rediscover this faith and live it out in our own particular particular situation. So that's a super, super, super long answer to your question, Paul. But this gets back to your question of how, how are members of Opus Dei any different from anybody else? Well, if you're a member of Opus Dei, you have this vocation. It's a divine vocation to, to live your faith out in this particular way. But many other people also are drawn to some of the things that members of Opus Dei do every day uh, in order to do this. And these are called the daily norms. And, and really, if you think about it, it's not much different from what, what any serious Catholic would do. Uh, so daily Mass is, is obviously huge because we really do believe that Jesus Christ is present in the Eucharist. You want to be there as often as you possibly can, right? Not just on Sundays, but to receive our Lord, that's like it's the pinnacle. It's the, the mountaintop experience. We get to do that every day. Uh, if possible, in the Catholic Church. And so, daily Mass, daily prayer. And we're talking about this mental prayer, conversational prayer with God, the rosary, um, reading the New Testament for you know five minutes or so a day. That's These are all things that every Catholic really should be doing. I mean, it's nothing out of the ordinary, if you will. Uh, spiritual reading, uh, things like that. And there's some some other things that, that the... That, uh, Members of Opus Dei do every week. There's this sort of a spiritual, it's called a study circle that we attend. Um, then there's every year, go on a retreat, um, things like that. And then there's, there's, there are what are called always norms, like trying to keep the presence of God all the time and understanding that you're in God's presence all the time. That, that's, that's a skill that you need to develop. Uh, things like that, cheerfulness, 
And again, it's not the cheerfulness of a contented animal, right? Like, oh, I'm well fed, I'm, I've got a place to sleep. No, it's, it's supernatural joy that doesn't depend on what's happening. Happiness depends on what's happening. Joy is something more deep within. So, um, yeah, so that, uh, that's a super long answer to the first part of your question. And, and then just real quick, um, I'll answer the second part of your question. I think you, you, you said, Paul, and I know you're still online, you said that you thought that all members of Opus Dei were celibate. Is that what you thought? Or most of them were celibate? Yes, I thought so, but I don't know. Yeah, so so um, so some some of them are, some of them are, and so uh, some people are called to uh, the vocation of celibacy for the sake of the kingdom. Um, within within living out their their vocation to Opus Day, and then other people are called, mostly married people are are called to to. The, the, the names, are, they might strike you as very strange, um, and it certainly seems odd when you first hear it. Um, married members of Opus Dei are called supernumeraries, and like, wow, super duper, what does that mean? And then the celibate members of Opus Dei are called numeraries. Now, actually, those names actually come from the Spanish university system. That's my understanding of it, because St. Jose Maria, of course, was a Spaniard. So that's where the names kind of came from. So, um, just to give an example, so if somebody is a, and I mentioned this off the top, so if somebody is a priest of Opus Dei, they didn't join Opus Dei to become a priest. They would have joined as a celibate member of Opus Dei, and then later on, they were asked to study for the priesthood. So, that's that, so you don't join Opus Dei to become a priest of Opus Dei, uh, if that makes any sense. So, um, but the vast majority of, you know... <laughs> The vast, vast majority of members of Opus Dei are lay people. We're living in the middle of the world. And this this is the way in which we live the call to holiness and apostolate that all Catholics have to live. So so no matter what, you have to live, you have to become a saint and help other people to become a saint. And the question is, how are you going to do that? This is one way to do it. There are other ways to do it, for sure. And um, I hope that helps uh, to make it a little bit more understandable, Paul. Okay, thank you. Okay, you got it. Check out Scott Hahn's book. I think he does a great job in that book of explaining uh, all that stuff and, and much more. You're listening to The Kale Clark Show on Relevant Radio. It's the feast day of St. Jose Maria Escrivá, the founder of Opus Dei. And you can call in as well, 888 And we will be right back after this break. Our sponsor, Charity Mobile, where 5% of your monthly plan price goes to Relevant Radio or another pro-life charity of your choice. New customers can mention Relevant Radio to receive a free phone. More information at CharityMobile.com. Welcome back to the Kale Clark Show. It is June the 26th, 2023. It's a feast day of St. Jose Maria Escrivá, the founder of Opus Dei, a great saint in the church, one of the greatest saints of the 20th century, 888-914-914. I'm going to get back to your phone calls in just a second, but I have to ask you, Patrick Alog, what is that song that you just played, and what does it mean? 
The song is Aprite Li Finestre. It's an Italian song that St. Jose Maria asked people to sing at the moment of his death. Wow. And, and do you know what some of the lyrics are? I, I don't even... I yeah, some of the lyrics... Uh, here's, here's the beginning of some of the lyrics in English. The first red rose has already blossomed and the violets are born shy. By now, the first swallow is back in the clear sky, it begins to twirl. Hmm. Wow. And as you can hear, and, uh, you know, when listening to it, it's a very... Very delightful song. Wow. Wow. That's, 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 that's interesting. I, I didn't know that. That's one thing I didn't know. And I, I still have lots to learn, believe me, uh, about uh, St. Jose Maria. There's so much great, uh, great teaching there. And by the way, all of his writings are available online. You can get them at escrivaworks.org. And so you can look at some of his spiritual classics like The Way. Uh, which is probably his best-known book. It's a collection of 999 points, maxims, if you will, uh, aphorisms, as it were. And, and really, it's not me- it's not a book that's meant to be read straight through, cover to cover. There are sort of points for meditation, and uh, it, it's really, really powerful. So, But yeah, so St. Jose Maria died on this day in 1975, June 26th, around noontime. He kind of stepped out of his elevator, and he, he really wasn't feeling well. <laughs> And he, he went into his office and he glanced at a picture of Our Lady. It was, in fact, a picture of Our Lady of Guadalupe and Juan Diego, St. Juan Diego, giving Our Lady of Guadalupe a rose. And he had a massive cardiac arrest and, um, and he died there. And, and, and actually, the, the person who closed his eyes uh, was a doctor, his personal physician. And... Um, it's it's I've actually I actually had the the privilege of meeting this guy, and um, yeah, it, it's 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 an incredible story in itself, and and just yeah, wow, he was there and uh, got to close the eyes of a saint. He he was actually a priest of Opus Dei, but he was a, a doctor before um, uh, he became uh, a priest of Opus Dei. His name was Father Joe Soria, and he just died uh, not too long ago in Vancouver, Canada. And it was interesting too because he he wrote a he actually wrote a book about Saint Jose Maria called The Master of Good Humor, and it's it's in Spanish, so it doesn't really translate that well. Humor doesn't usually translate that well into different languages, but uh, Saint Jose Maria was very very funny. He had a, he had a great joy about him, and if you see pictures of him from the early days of Opus Dei, they're, they're always just laughing and having a good time. It's not staged. He was just really, and that's what people. I've met a few people who actually knew him and lived with him in Rome, and they all say the exact same thing. He was just so much fun to be around, and it's just so much joy. And then the other thing that, that people say about him, I've, I've had the chance of meeting a handful of people who have met him. They all said the same thing. They also said, when I was in his presence, I realized I had to be better. I had to be much better. And a lot of these guys are pretty holy in their own right, so in my view... So that's that's what's like when you're when you're around a saint. Like it should encourage you to also try to become a saint yourself, and not in a, not in a sort of a oh man I'll never measure up kind of way. But yeah, it is possible. It is possible with God's grace. All right, let's go to the phones right now. Triple eight nine one four nine one four nine. Let's go to Timothy in Pittsburgh. Hey Timothy. You know, one of the best things I've ever read by Opus Dei was the I think it's seven or eight volumes in conversation with God, and uh, yeah. You know, it's a daily five-minute read, so it's relatively quick and painless, you know, these busy mm-hmm. times. And I wanted to quickly tell a story about that, because I think the books are 
so transformative. Sure. Um, when the books first came out, so we're talking early 1990s, um, my father was still alive. and My dad, and I, I can say this because I'm half Polish, he was a pretty stubborn fool. You know? yeah, to his credit, he was a devout Roman Catholic, daily mass, mm-hmm. you know, daily rosary, but he had a pre-Vatican II god that was up there with a fly swatter looking for an excuse to swatch it. It, it was not mm-hmm. a very contagious, happy god. And so when these books came out, and I liked them so much, I tried to introduce my father to these books. And my father had a robust prayer life, you know, and he uh, politely declined, and we got into an argument. And finally, I said, do you have five minutes now? And his answer was, only if it'll make you go away. <laughs> and, uh, you know, he picked up the book, he opened it to whatever page he found and he got hit right between the eyes and he read those every day almost till the day he died, you know, read them as long as he could for three decades. Um, I like to think of those books. If, if you're like a stable Christian and you know, you're doing all the right things, but you would like to kick it up a level, I think in conversation with God is the best way I know to take this up a couple levels to where God wants you to be. And I, I think it's a real easy way to get introduced to um, Opus Day. And, you know, you don't like it, put it down. But I think if you try it, um, I... That's right. I mean, game, yeah. Yeah, and Sorry, just let, let me just jump in there real quick just to, to let people know, and, and I appreciate you, you saying this, because in conversation with God, this this book series, it's really like a way to help with your with your daily prayer, your mental prayer, your your, your literal conversation with God. And, and a lot of the saints have said this. Uh, St. Teresa of Avila said, man, I was terrified to go into my prayer without some sort of a book to help me pray. So this is this is one possible book that you could use. It's a book, it's a series of books, and it's kind of based on the liturgical cycles of the year. But just so everybody knows, it's available as a podcast on the relevant radio app. And you might have noticed this if you have the relevant radio app. And if you haven't downloaded it yet, what what are you waiting for? Download it. You'll see it there, and you can listen to the day's entry uh, from the book series every day. So you can listen to it in an audio format if you want. And it can really uh, uh, help you pray. So. Hey, Timothy, man, I, I appreciate that so much. Thank you so much for calling in and, and sharing that. It's Timothy in Pittsburgh. God bless you. That, that's a great idea, talking about in conversation with God. Uh, yeah, and you can always try it. And if it doesn't, if it's not for you, then you can try something else, but it, you might actually love it. So there you have it. And let's go to uh, Didi in Phoenix, Arizona. Hey, Didi, welcome back. Oh, uh, yeah, just two quick questions. Mm-hmm. Sure. Uh, I'm intrigued, and my first question is, could I start a group at my parish here in Phoenix? And my other question is, is, uh, is it considered a religious group, and is it approved by the USCCB and the Pope? Uh, yeah, yeah, so uh, for, first thing is, it is, it is a, a approved. Um, uh, the founder of Opus Dei, St. Jose Maria, is obviously he's been canonized, so he's a canonized saint, and the guy who took over after he passed away, he was kind of his right-hand man, and uh, he became the new uh, 
what's called a prelate of Opus Dei, uh, the, the bishop who is, long story behind that, but his name is is uh, Don Alvaro, Blessed Alvaro del Portillo. He was beatified a few years ago, and uh, he's also uh, somebody worth getting to know. And you can actually find out more information on the Opus Dei website. It's probably the best place to go, opusdei.org. You can check it out. And it'll give you a lot of information. What is Opus Dei? What's, what, is, what is it all about? It's not a religious order. Um, there are no vows. Anybody who's a member of Opus Dei doesn't take any vows. Um, uh, you're free to leave whenever you, <laughs> whenever you want. Like the door is wide open. And, and St. Josemaria always used to say that, hey, the most supernatural reason to, to be in Opus Dei is because you want to. And uh, you say, wow, this, this, this and, it's, and again, it's not for everyone, but a lot of people have found it very, very helpful. And it's interesting, too, because Saint, one of the things I want to say earlier is that St. Jose Maria, when he started preaching his message of, really, it's the same message that, that eventually became the message of Vatican II. Now, if you, Vatican II talked a lot about a, a lot about a lot of different things. It was, it was a pretty important council. But I would say that it, Vatican II, in a nutshell, what is the message of the council? The universal call to holiness. That's what a lot of people say. And really, that was being preached by St. Jose Maria decades before Vatican II, and a lot of what he taught got into the council. And But it's not original to San Jose Maria either, because as he said, this is nothing but classic Christianity. Now, he didn't use that phrase, but that's essentially, it's as old and as new as the gospel, because he always said, if you want to know what Opus Dei is all about, check out the early church. Check out the early church, because this is how they lived. They How did they evangelize the world? The church wasn't even legal. They simply lived out their faith in the middle of the world, in their ordinary, everyday lives. They tried to live for God, and they tried to help spread the good news of the gospel to people around them. And that's how the faith grew by, I think, 40% a year. Um, the faith was growing, according to the late uh, sociologist Rodney Stark, who used to write about the early church and um, in, in the Greco-Roman world. And it's incredible, despite persecutions, despite everything. There were no public papal masses. You couldn't invite your friends to go to a papal mass at the Roman Colosseum. It wasn't happening. The mass was underground. And so people found out about it just through the ordinary life and witness of, of people trying to live their faith in the middle of the world. That's what you and I are called to do as Catholics. And so, hey, uh, check it out. You can learn more about it. Uh, go to the website, opusday.org, and uh, yeah, ask San Jose Maria to pray for you. That's a great day to do it because it's his feast day, and certainly he's a saint that you should know more about. Uh, if you don't, just like all the saints, right? We have to learn about them because they're great witnesses to what God uh, can do through a person who gives themselves entirely to him and says, Lord, I'm at your disposal. I'm at your, your service, whatever you want, whatever you want. And uh, that's what we try to do. And we try to help everybody do that at Relevant Radio because our task, our mission is to bring Christ to the world through the media. This is the Kale Clark Show. Thank you for joining me during this hour. Patrick Alog produced Young Thomas his legal name now took your phone calls take it away Michaela thank you for listening to my daddy